On this episode of the History Worth Saving podcast, we're talking to a real newsman, a guy that so many of us have watched over the years. And today, well, he's made a name for himself in an all-new career, and we'll get into that in just a few minutes. But right now, let's bring him on David Hartman, the first host of Good Morning America. David, thanks for being here. Matt, it's my pleasure. And before, I don't want to forget this or get, have it get all tied up in another conversation. You did the greatest job on that Arsenal Democracy um, streaming broadcast from Washington several months ago. You were just dynamite in uh, presenting all that. And it was too bad it got rained out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a small part to play in it. Rob Ryder, uh, my my other buddy, Rob Rob hit it out of the park. He, you know, he stood up there and read everything. And so I, I think, I think David, the credit is Rob's, but I do appreciate, I had a very small part, but I do appreciate that. Thank you. Well, listen, give, give Rob my best because he and I have been friends for years. So give him my regards, please. Well, back to Fred Waring. And I mean, that's, that's, a, that's right. I'm telling you, that's right. we'll have to have Rob on this show at some point because, you know, the old song and dance man. Uh, That's from, right. From television. You remember those days? I mean, when, when local TV was king and the network guys were gods, there were you atop the ABC Tower. What was that like, David, back then? Just paint that picture for us, if you will. because Well, it was, it was fascinating. I think you overstated a little bit about me being on the top of the tower. But anyway, that said, uh, um, it was just a different time. When we started Good Morning America in November of 1975, until GMA came on, ABC was not on in the morning. But today's show had been on since 1952, one of the creations, the brilliant creations of Pat Weaver when he was head of NBC. And uh, CBS was on in the morning, of course, with CBS News. And then we came on in November of 75. And over the next few years, when you realize then there was no Internet, there was no social media, there was no streaming. There was none of that. There were three networks and in the morning, and a few local stations did their own uh, morning programs. So there wasn't all this competition like today. Um, and what the three programs did was focus on accuracy, on telling the truth, on telling stories about everything important in people's lives every day, and bringing information to people that they could use in some constructive way to know what's going on in their country and their world. And that's what our focus was. All three programs, they all did it well, and the competition made all three programs better over a period of time. And when you think that nowadays, there are literally hundreds of streaming opportunities, social media, networks, television, cable, you name it. And so the competition is gigantic. And that's one of the reasons there are, there, the stories are all so brief. They're afraid if they sit on a story for more than two or three minutes that people are going to change channels and, or stations or whatever. And so it's much more difficult to do the shows now that we were able to do then and focus on being quiet, on being well-informed, on being communicative in a constructive way. And unfortunately, that's become very difficult to do these days because of social media especially, uh, which is so trashed up with untruths 
so much of what goes on every day. And that puts even more pressure on on um, on serious journalism people to tell a story truthfully and correctly. You know what I love about that is exactly the show that you just described is the show that you find in in a lot of cases online today. And I hope that I hope that this one is included in those at some point because it, it's so important to tell the whole story. And you know the playbook's been written. I mean. Right. I mean, the playbook was written in the 1920s at the dawn of radio. I mean, it's not hard to tell a good story if you take the time to tell it. And I always thought you were so, so great at that. Every morning you would come in uh, to homes around the country and you would leave people uh, in in a better in a better place. And if there was bad news, you would you would still leave them uh, with a little bit of hope. Walk me through some of those 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 career highlights, if you will, because you were there for some big stuff. Yeah, we really were. Uh, doing that work was a privilege. People ask, oh, what's it like? And so on. The fact is, it was a privilege to do that work, have only not only the opportunity, but the responsibility to try to inform inform people and bring them information, as I mentioned, that they could use in some constructive way in their lives. And even though in our case, we usually had six to seven million people watching my attitude of what I was doing or trying to do was to look into the camera, have a quiet, especially at that hour in the morning, a quiet conversation with one person and invite that person, not hit him over the head, not blast away at him, but invite them to come join our conversation. And we always had an absolutely, totally quiet studio so that our guests could listen, could think, and have a quiet conversation with us. And that's how we wanted to draw people to the screen so that they could get some good information. That, that was the point, and we loved trying to do that. And there were so many examples. I, I think of, well, who was, you know, the top interview? I did over 12,000 uh, 12, of them, and so I can't really pick out any one. I mean, there were some newsbreakers that were extremely uh, not only important, but were exclusive. I was the only person after the United States bombed Libya uh, to fly to Sirte, Libya, and interview Muammar Gaddafi at 10 o'clock at night on the edge of the Sahara. Um, that was an interesting experience. <laughs> well, we got I got to ask, I mean, what was that like <laughs> well, sitting was, there with Muammar it, Gaddafi? Yeah, well, it was interesting. I mean... One of our uh, staff, there were only six of us. Our crew was from London, and um, and one colleague of mine produced a writer from New York, and we flew over, and they put us, uh, when we got to Tripoli, they put us in a camo jet, uh, excuse me, a camo uh, twin-engine small airplane, um, and flew us out, and we landed in the dark on a highway. There's a main highway that runs from Tripoli down through certain over to Benghazi. And anyway, we landed in the dark on the highway. They had blocked it for us. And they drove us to this kind of concrete blockhouse right on the edge of Surd, on the edge of the desert. And Gaddafi walked in, and he and I sat down, and we talked for 55 minutes. And my colleague, uh, producer writer, um, when we were on the plane on the way in, I noticed that I, I made a bad joke and um, about the situation we were in. And it turned out that he was very nervous about going to Tripoli and being with Gaddafi. 
And I said, listen, they invited us. We're going to be the safest six people on the planet because they wanted us to come and tell their story. Hmm. And so anyway, we did that. And so it was, it was, it was fascinating, interesting, and also challenging to question him and to see if we could get some kind of uh, delineation explanation for conduct of his over not just recently but over many many years so yes it was a fascinating and challenging uh, interview but that was that was just one two weeks in the soviet union back in the mid 80s was absolutely fascinating because as a kid born and raised in the united states um i'd never been behind the iron curtain at that point uh, except briefly to go into east berlin i won't go to that but but uh, had not been to the Soviet Union. And we were followed, we were traced, we found out when we got back to the States that we were photographed and recorded in our hotel rooms. And I must tell you, I had never been in that situation. And unless you are in it, it's hard to imagine how oppressive it is. And I was so glad to be back in the United States two weeks later uh, so that was a remarkable, you know, personal life experience besides the challenge of trying to tell a story of what was going on at that point in the Soviet Union uh, as Gorbachev was beginning to come to power. So anyway, those were fascinating. But also there were just conversations with, with wonderful people who have achieved things in their lives, usually out of tremendous love of what they do and discipline. Betty Davis comes to mind, who mm. became one of the few guests that we ever had who really did later become a friend. And Betty was that, became that, and uh, in fact asked me to present her at Kennedy Center Honors because the people who were presented uh, get to pick who presents them. So that was an honor to do that. Uh, but just knowing the experience of meeting every day extraordinary people they would not have been on the air if they hadn't done something unusual powerful significant extraordinary or they wouldn't have been on the program now that doesn't mean they all did that in a good way some did <laughs> right. some some didn't right. i mean but but that but we always were fair with every guest they deserve respect or why invite them into your house to talk with them you can be respectful and ask tough questions. And we did that on a regular basis. And uh, that was part of our challenge to do the job every day. So whether it was in sports or theater or um, the uh, financial world, the, certainly the political world, senators, Congress people, uh, several presidents interviewed several times uh, over decades. And you, you wrap that all up and it was just a privilege to do that work and hope that you got accurate information out there to the people who are viewing and listening. So. Well, after your long run on GMA, I, I want to get into this because it's how we met. Uh, you, you've had a, a second career, if you will, uh, working in and around North Carolina with documentaries and other state-run television and, and television programs and documentaries that have been all over the world. But you have a profound love of aviation, and you've right. you've really spent the the I, you know post GMA focused on aviation. In fact, a son who flew. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that because this is a deep 
passion of yours and one that's important to you. Well, it started during World War II. I'm 86. So uh, I was like in my age group, we all were alive during World War II and were old enough to remember uh, World War II. I was in grade school from grades two through like five. Uh, and like many other boys and girls too, uh, we sat in class whiling away, sitting, trying to draw airplanes because we saw the newsreels every Saturday at the movies and we knew what the airplanes were, whether it's B-17s or it was Corsairs or so on and so forth. And so got hooked on aviation, went to college, got a degree, but got a commission in the Air Force, served three years strategic air command. I was too tall to fly, but maintained that interest in aviation. But doing the documentaries, uh, beginning with several earlier that I had done during GMA period, one on the Constitution, one on national defense, and so on. Uh, my interest in the aviation side was twofold. One, to try to help people understand and appreciate the history of what happened beginning with World War I, through World War II, and on after that, but also to honor all those who served. When you think that World War II, for instance, over 75 million people, million people died in World War II. That's almost an incomprehensible number to wrap our heads around today. But those who served in uniform and at home, and in many ways it was America's finest time because regardless here at home, regardless of color or religious beliefs or ethnic background, etc., everybody pitched in to supply the troops and to, to try to win the war against Japan and Germany uh, and Italy. Um, and so trying to teach that history now, and a way to do that is through aviation because airplanes are exciting. You can go to any airport in the country or the world for that matter, and look around and see how many people, especially young people, are standing just watching airplanes land and take off. And then you add to it old warbird-type airplanes, you know, the former military planes from days long ago, and they're exciting as can be. And to tell their stories and the men and women who flew those airplanes is a way to teach the history and to make people aware of how much so many gave, including their lives, so that we could live today in a free country and have a First Amendment and have personal freedoms that few people have anyplace else in the world. That is a message that we need to be trumpeting every day possible. And so doing 30 to 40 hour-long programs on the history of military aviation are all designed to honor those people who served and to tell that history so that people are aware of how much has been given by so many so we could live free. That's well said. Some of the, the folks that you've become friends with, uh, one, one that comes to mind right now is, is, uh, is Bud Anderson, the oh. last living triple ace. I mean, you've, you've met them all throughout your career, uh, but these people, right. well, I've, I've watched you interact with them. I don't know how many times. 
And there's there's a certain uh, specialness about each of those interactions uh, that, that that comes across with you in the interview. Well, thank you. I, I, I hope you're right. Uh, and I think that grows because of my respect for them and what they've given, but also that they are sharing their personal life experiences with us to help us understand. In other words, they're, they're sending the message about who gave what so that we can be free. And, uh, and that's why each of those conversations, I mean, I just am, am in awe of what they did. And when you think about it, most of those aviators were anywhere from 20 to 24 years old. I mean, Bud was 20, Anderson, you know, triple ace and the oldest living triple ace, American ace. Now he's like 98 or nine now. And, uh, lucid, healthy. And each time I'm with Bud, I just shake my head and think at the phrase that we've all used many times, where do we find men like this? And women, we tell women stories about aviation that is seldom told about what they did in World War II. And in World War II, the 18 or more million women who went into factories for the first time. I mean, that history is is amazing. And speaking of that, we did, you talk about now with COVID uh, as a result of not being able to travel. Uh, my two colleagues from Oshkosh and Warbirds of America up there, uh, we put together a 77 minute documentary um, uh, to celebrate and honor uh, the end of World War II in Europe. It was victory over Germany, victory in Europe, um, the 75th anniversary. And we put that together uh, from our homes because we had so much video footage that we'd shot for years with Dick Cole, with Bud Anderson, and on and on, the people that you, Bob Hoover, uh, you know, the greats of military aviation, to tell that story. And that, um, that documentary, VE Day 75 Years Later, is available on YouTube for those who would like to watch it and uh, streamed across the world. So, I think that's great. I love that. What was that, David? Was that a, that sounded important? Oh, that yeah, that sounded that, what you heard in the background? Yeah, that sounded important. Was it something you need to tend to? It was the dryer. Oh, yeah. You, see, you have the same types of problems that I have. Isn't this wonderful? You know, isn't it wonderful, though? I think it's great. I, I think it's great. So, you know, when you, when you look back at this now, 80-plus years of living here uh, in this country, what are you hopeful for? I'm hopeful that that... Those of us who especially uh, grew up earlier and experienced some of the, the challenges that we all went through uh, will try to be heard more and make young people aware of how lucky they are. Um, I, just, I read an uh, op-ed piece, I think it was in the New York Times, I don't know now, four or five years ago, a grad student from Minnesota and she was complaining in her piece that young people were saying uh, that they don't that they don't uh, have as much in their lives each day as they would like, and they deserve more. 
And she wrote a piece just ripping that to shreds and saying, I'm sitting in a coffee shop with my computer. I can talk to anybody across the world. I have a car. I am getting a graduate education. And she said, what more could a, a young person today want? Well, she understands it. So now it's a new generation or generations who, who need to step up and work to let us work together and not apart. As I said earlier, if we don't start, it was the dryer. You're going to have a busy afternoon. That's a lot of laundry, David. <laughs> no, no, no. The, uh, no, but if we don't start working together, instead of disagreeing about everything, then, you know, how are we going to solve the problems? Right. Well, um, and I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, that's the whole reason for this show, right? The first episode of this show, I re- well, a couple of them, first season I recorded while living in the Middle East. Yep, and, you know, you, you, people, you call home and everybody's upset at the way things are going. And I'm over there thinking, you have no idea. You know, that's you just, right. you, but if you, if you don't know each other, you can't like each other. And I've said this countless times. And if you don't like each other, you can't love each other. And you certainly can't understand each other. So it all starts with just getting to know each other. And that's what we used to have uh, when you would come on the, the morning television there. Everybody knew you and you knew a lot of other people today though that that element of trust uh, it's just it's it's not that it's not there uh, but it's that it's been divided across so many lines that you really it, it puts the onus on the viewer to determine what's real and what's not real and what if you listen to last day, season what's state sponsored to not be real yeah, and, so right and that's almost impossible it is impossible these days but you are absolutely on target and what you just said interesting about morning television to go back to that for a second is that when people are sitting there on the air for two hours you cannot fake who you are viewers should realize that if somebody is is just reading a teleprompter on a cable and they sit there and for a short period of time and just read a prompter you can't really get to know them. But in morning television, especially with people sitting there for two hours, sometimes longer, you really get to know who they are because you can't fake it when you're on morning television. So when you're watching morning television, if you think you know that person who's an anchor, chances are you do because they can't fake you out by trying every second to be something they're not. And that's another reason to watch morning television. There is more information there than you can get on most other programs on a daily basis. And so uh, I'm a big fan of, of people watching all morning television, you know, the networks. I mean, so, um, yeah. I want to, I want to ask you this because I, I'm, I, this is a, This is my privilege to ask this question because I'm fascinated by this when I talk to people like yourself. Who who were your mentors growing up? Um, Mostly my parents. And that's a great question. And I always say I was honored by the National Association of Broadcasters here a couple of years ago. And I made it the point of my remarks. And I started by saying, you know, in, in television, what we do, It's not, it's never the personal pronoun I, it's we. We don't, we don't, we work together and there are huge staffs, you know, behind anybody who's on the air every day. 
we work together. And, and I said, growing up, we, all of us had people who supported us, helped us, mentored us. And I looked into the audience and I said, each of you, I wonder if you might take 20 seconds and just think who mentored me when I was younger that allowed me to be sitting here in this arena today uh, at this whatever convention broadcast. But I think uh, that's why the mentoring is so darned important. Um, and it started with my parents. They respected everybody until somebody decided they didn't, <laughs> <laughs> right. they didn't deserve respect. And that was with everybody. And they also said, you're responsible for you growing up. Nobody else is responsible for you unless you're ill or something. But take care of yourself, and then you can start honoring and taking care of other people in some way that you choose. So that was the attitude, some of the attitudes I grew up with my parents, who loved life but also said we have responsibility to make it better for those around us. And uh, that was a, another privilege. So it started with my mom and dad. I think that's great. Well, and well said. David Hartman, a man in the middle of laundry like all of the rest of us. I, if, if the laundry ever stops, David, I'm going to get worried because uh, that, that means <laughs> something bad is well, wrong in my house. So, uh, amen, just, amen, brother. And it's also wise of us to know how to do the laundry it is right? it is absolutely you could write a book on that i mean the, the book about making your bed went pretty popular i think oh, uh, I, i'm oh, telling oh. you there's some good stuff there david well will you, you uh, McCraven. that's McCraven. right will you leave us uh, with the way that you left us so often in the morning do you remember you your, betcha. Do you remember I, your line to, i don't get to say that very <laughs> often anymore but to all of your listeners make it a good day today that's right thank david you, hartman everybody thank you again david listen if you enjoy the show follow along at historyworthsaving.com you can sign up for the newsletter right there at historyworthsaving.com and never miss an episode so long for now everyone <laughs>